welcome to Corpus Christi Anglican Church. I'm Morgan, our planting clergy. Our vision of this church is to become a common people in common prayer for uncommon transformation. This podcast is where you will hear our sermons and other teachings that have happened at Corpus Christi. We primarily serve the region of Springfield, Franconia, and Kingstown. We're glad that you're here. Thanks for taking time to listen. Here's the message. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you this morning. I'm Father Morgan. I'm the vicar here at Corpus Christi Anglican Church. And it is a joy to be worshiping with you this morning on the first Sunday of Advent. Uh, That is one of my favorite Advent songs. And so it just... Uh, I love this season. It is a good time to dwell on the anticipation and the hope that we have in Christ. Let me pray for us as we begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, we look for the day that you will come in glorious majesty to judge the living and the dead. We remember the humility of your Son, whose crown only came through the cross. And we ask for your grace to cast off the works of darkness in order to put on the armor of light. We pray this through him who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Well, welcome again to the season of Advent. This is the church's liturgical new year. uh, So happy new year. And it is particularly focused on hope and anticipation As someone who didn't grow up Anglican, I've appreciated how the church's calendar has a season that focuses on the end goal of all creation. We reflect on the ways that Israel anticipated and hoped for the Messiah so that you and I can live in the anticipation of Jesus's coming again in glory to restore all things. You might hear the words eschaton or apocalypse to talk about those realities. There are beautiful songs that we have in this season of anticipation. We wear purple as a reminder that we're preparing for the coming of Christ in the repentance of of our sins. And amidst this season, which has a lot of hustle and bustle, it's a culture steeped in materialism and the here and the now. In this season, we sit with the apocalypse and we ask the Lord, what What will things look like when the Son of Man comes and he reveals himself in his glory and when he makes all things new? So the way that God was preparing Israel with her tribulations and trials for the coming of the Messiah reminds us of the ways that you and I are called to prepare for his coming again. Then after Advent, we're going to have a 12-day season, a feasting season of Christmas celebrating Christ's incarnation for the salvation of the world. And that begins on Christmas Eve, which we'll celebrate together, and it goes through January 5th. And I often, sort of jokingly, uh, will will tell my wife, hey, we can get great deals on December 26th. And then we can technically send those gifts out after that, and they'll still get to people by Christmas, which I'm I'm kind of kidding. Uh, But yes, uh, so before we get to Christmas, though, we're going to have Advent together. We're going to have four weeks uh, of this purple season of anticipation. And today we're going to hear an exhortation after the prayers of the people. And that exhortation is read on the first Sunday of Advent and it's read on the first Sunday of Lent each year. In the exhortation, you're going to hear the charge to examine ourselves, to make repentance, 
and to give thanks to God for his good works. And so this is a season where we do that, where there is increased self-examination, where there is increased repentance and amendment of life, and where there is a time of rejoicing in the gifts that God's given us. And I can imagine, if I use my, my imagination, the ways that the Virgin Mary was nesting in her third trimester, uh, getting ready for this baby to come. Some of you might be in that space right now. Uh, and as they're cleaning the house and as they're building, God has been preparing the world for the incarnation of the divine son. And this is a season of nesting in our hearts. Uh, where we're preparing ourselves to encounter freshly the grace of God that's found in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's a season that reminds us that things right now may not be the way that we expected them to be. But when they're that way, they're still part of God's story for us. It was almost exactly a year ago. uh, It was a year ago yesterday uh, that... I received one of the worst texts that I have ever received. It was, you know, a day or two after Thanksgiving last year, early in the morning, I got a notification from a friend of mine who told me that a dear friend of ours had passed away suddenly that morning. And I was devastated. That, that person was dearly beloved to me and to the community that I was serving uh, and and just the, the neighbors that I had. We would watch their dog. Uh, Ash and I would watch their dog. He would take me on the occasional bike ride. Uh, we would do lunches together, beer nights with neighbors. And that family was actually one of the first families that Ashley and I had met when we moved to Virginia back in 2012. And sometimes when I least expect it, you know, I find myself in grief. I find myself tearing up when I remember our conversations that we used to have together. Um, But especially when I think about his wife and his children uh, and their lives right now without his continued presence in their lives. When I was thinking about that, I was talking to a friend about that last week as well. and, And they reminded me of a passage that, again, was an apocalyptic passage. It was Isaiah 65, verse 20. And in that passage, it says, no more shall there be in Jerusalem an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. And passages like that one and the one from this morning in the book of Zechariah, they remind us that losses, griefs and sorrows, challenges, traumas, persecutions that we might face. Those are not just within God's story for us. But they're preparing us for the reign of Christ in the age to come. There is hope in Christ. There's a day in which our present, uh, our present and deepest sorrows are going to be outdone with an even deeper joy. And what God has done in the coming of Christ prepares us for what he's ultimately going to do when Christ comes back again. In the next four weeks, we're going to look at the minor prophets. So today we'll be in Zechariah. And we'll be in the lectionary. And we're going to ask how God's rebuilding the things that have been torn down and broken. And while we can speak about that on the level of society or culture, uh, we can also talk about rebuilding and probably should talk about rebuilding with our own hearts first. As one theologian, John Howard Yoder, helpfully says in an essay, Uh, from 1988 called Armaments and Eschatology. He says, 
The point that Apocalyptic makes is not only that people who wear crowns and who claim to foster justice by the sword are not as strong as they think, uh, true as that is, it's that people who bear crosses are working with the grain of the universe. One doesn't come to that belief by reducing social processes to mechanical and statistical models, nor by winning some of one's battles for the control of one's own corner in the fallen world. One comes to it by sharing the life of those who sing about the resurrection of the slain lamb. And I love that line. The point of apocalyptic, the point that apocalyptic makes is that People who bear crosses are working with the grain of the universe. Jesus is going to come again. And when he comes again, his glory will be revealed in full. And the glory of that age to come needs to frame the ways that you and I pursue his kingdom, both in holiness and in justice. From our passage in Zechariah, we're reframing our present realities in light of the age to come, where God is both the source of life And he is the cosmic king. So let's first look at how times of tribulation set the stage for God's intervention in Zechariah. When we're in Zechariah 14, there is a day coming. The author looks ahead to a day of judgment. And that day of judgment is going to affect all of the most vulnerable in Jerusalem. At the end of verse 2, it says that half the city is going to go into exile. While the rest are going to remain in Jerusalem. Either group is going to have its own share of difficulty, whether they're gone or whether they stay. (coughs) Staying in the city means that being under someone else's rule uh, means that they have to be under somebody else's rule, potentially losing their friends or their relatives. But ultimately, what it does is it fundamentally changes their sense of home and what being home looks like. Being taken into exile means uprooting everything that's known And being forced into a new place where language, customs, cultures, and religions are different. The the place that felt safe and secure for both groups is gone. And it's in that experience of home being gone and uprootedness that God purifies a people in preparation to see his glory. A time of hardship is going to come before God's glory is revealed. We see that in the life of Jesus himself. When we look at the Gospels, Jesus suffered obedience to the point of death on the cross. Subsequently, he was raised from the dead. And then he was seated at God's right hand to reign as king over all in his ascension. Father Ryan talked about that last week on Christ the King Sunday. His exaltation didn't come without the cross. But it's common for us to mistakenly think that Maybe the suffering that we're going through is somehow outside of God's will or I'm doing something wrong. And I wonder if there's a particular place in our lives where we're tempted to lose hope. Like those Jerusalemites who were left when over half the city was gone. Or who were left when the city was ravaged. And we all desire a sense of home. right? But sometimes a deep sense of wanting to return to something can actually keep us from experiencing God's story in the present. On the one hand, it's true on a national level, right? We think of America, uh, you know, America has a multi-ethnic future and quite frankly has a multi-ethnic present. Uh, And there are some who might opine for a past which had centered predominantly white male voices. And the longer they opine for that, 
uh, the less they're going to find beauty in the country that is or what it could become. But beyond the nation, I think, you know, this is also true in the church. We have uh, different senses of nostalgia about church, maybe an individual church, maybe a whole tradition where people long for the good old days. And in longing for those good old days, we might miss the beauty of what God is doing right now. So and personally, then I, I think, you know, looking back, we might look back to a time where we felt at home. Uh, personally, we might wonder, you know, am I ever going to get there again? I think what the pandemic has probably done is uprooted all of us in a sense, some more than others, but it's uprooted all of the world. And so we all long for days where many people could gather in one space where we don't have to block off pews, where we can take masks off and sing together. And it's just not even thought about. Uh, There is a sense in which, you know, or the smallest sniffle. Now we're taking a COVID test or whatever it is. You know, we all long for something in this season. And that longing reminds us that things now are not the way we expected them to be. Things right now are not the way we expected them to be. And that's true for all of us. There's nobody who's probably like, yeah, this is exactly where I thought I would be. Right? (laughs) Uh, But our passage this morning reminds us that how things have turned out is God's story for you. He's not done with your story. And trials are setting the table for God's intervention. When things feel hopeless, like there's no way out, God makes one. And that's where... Verse 3 is so powerful. It says God comes and he fights against all the nations. There's this big problem, though. The nations, when they're putting uh, Jerusalem, they're backing them up into a corner. There's no way out. And as all the nations approach, the people, they're backed into this corner. And in this symbolic and cataclysmic language in the passage, God comes down onto the mountain of Olives, which is on the east side of Jerusalem, and he splits the mountain in half. And he makes a way of escape for his people by splitting a mountain in half. Then after bringing the people to safety, in verse 5, it says that God comes with all of his holy ones, which is the image of divine military with God as the reigning king. God first brings his people to safety, and then he intercedes on their behalf. And then in verses 6 through 9, we have this image-rich picture of the world being different than you and I have ever known it. The passage talks about a world with no cold or frost, which I'm sure many of you were hoping for uh, when you got up this morning and uh, or the last few days. It talks about waters that are flowing out of Jerusalem constantly, giving life to all around it with no seasonal variation. And finally, the Lord will be king over all the earth. In that day, the remnant of the nations that were working to destroy Jerusalem are going to come and offer their wealth and their goods to the king of kings who sits enthroned in Jerusalem. And they're going to come and they're going to celebrate the Feast of Booths together in Jerusalem. It kind of reminds me of the scene actually in the Chronicles of Narnia where winter slowly becomes spring. And you can see the snow slowly melting, the frost giving way, and the flowers just blooming, grasses sprouting up, birds chirping, bugs coming alive, pollinating. If you haven't read or seen it, the messianic figure in the Chronicles of Narnia is a lion named Aslan. And C.S. Lewis has this little poem about that moment. He says, wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. 
And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. So Christians are called to hope. They're called to hope and and to share about the beauty that exists under the frosty, wintry cold. There is beauty there under the cold. And you and I are given the privilege of seeing it. And when we look at God's vision for his people in Revelation, we see this vision of every tongue, tribe, and nation around God's throne. And then we get to start asking questions about what, what keeps every tongue, tribe, and nation from coming around God's throne, even now, around the altar of God. And when we discover that the heroes of the faith are the apostles and the prophets and the martyrs of the church, then it challenges us to reimagine the consumerism and the celebrity mentality that we find in the church and who our heroes are. When worship is made perfect around God's throne, it challenges us to reimagine the priority of worship in our own individual lives and in our corporate life together. So trusting that one whose glory is to come, uh, we we trust in the one whose glory came through the cross uh, so that you and I would not just have a pattern to follow in going to the cross, but we would actually have a real place to call home. It's something we looked at in the book of Hebrews. Our hope is in the God who redeems his people. And it's also in the one who restores the things that are broken. So this season of Advent together, thinking about the next four weeks. Let's, let's be intentional in the next four weeks to recenter our gaze on the end of all things, on the coming of the Lord. And as we look ahead to that day, let's be encouraged. Because there will be a day in which all things will be made right, where we're going to once again greet in victory those who have died in the Lord, where sorrow and pain are no more. There's hope in the Lord's coming, and today's trials are setting the stage for his glory to come. Let me pray for us. O God, the source of eternal light, shed forth your unending day upon us who watch for you. That our lips may praise you, our lives may bless you, and our worship on this day give you glory. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.